the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These, of course, are the words of David in the 23rd Psalm. You do not need to be an expert shepherd, having spent time with sheep on the rolling hills of Israel to catch the metaphor, the word picture of that glorious truth. David lays before us the most beautiful and helpful expression in the scriptures of what it means to be under the constant care and good eye of our shepherd, the Lord of heaven. This is a theme that is common in our Old Testament and carries into our new. In Genesis 49, Jacob describes God as his shepherd. In Psalm 80, the psalmist calls out to God as the shepherd of Israel. In another psalm, it is said, we are the the sheep of his pasture and he is our God. Old Testament Israel itself was frequently equated to a flock of sheep needing careful shepherding by God and God's appointed leaders. In fact, to be called a shepherd in Old Testament Israel was linking you with what so many of them were by their own occupation. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were shepherds. David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. The prophet Amos was a shepherd. The prophets Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah were given specific prophecies about the leaders of Israel, and they used the analogy of shepherds and sheep. And the prophet Micah gloriously speaks of a coming shepherd who will be born in Bethlehem, though it is of small uh, repute and renown, it is going to produce this great leader who will shepherd his people and they will walk in and out of his strength, dwelling in safety under his care. Not only was the idea of shepherding common in the Jewish scriptures, it was also common in everyday life. Almost every family in first century Jewish culture had a small flock, at least, of lambs or goats. And so it was no surprise to find our Lord using this common everyday reality as an object lesson in his teaching, which he did frequently. But nowhere is the, the su- subject and the lesson more prominent in shepherding and in sheep than in John 10. we we'll take the next two weeks to cover these first 18 verses because there's just so much here. As I read for you in the next few minutes, the 18 verses we'll cover, I want you to listen specifically for the two I am statements of Jesus. There's seven total in John's gospel. We have two of them here in a matter of verses in John 10. To help you stay in touch with the context, I'm going to start in chapter 9 and verse 40 and read through chapter 10 and verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Some of the Pharisees near him said these things, excuse me, heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Or they are looking for a negative answer. They could be saying, we're not blind also, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's plead with the Lord for grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would meet with us in these moments and that you would grant understanding of this text to our minds. And in so doing, that you would unlock our hearts to truly love you as we truly see and understand who you are as our good shepherd. We praise you for Jesus who has opened the way for us, who through the tearing of the curtain that is his flesh, he has redeemed us from our sin and given us access to you. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us and train us by your grace to walk in the glory of that salvation, being sanctified by your spirit. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Did you catch the two I am statements in this section, he said in verse seven, I am the door of the sheep. In verses 11 and 14, he said, I am the good shepherd. In chapter six, he said, I am the bread of life. Chapter eight, he said, I am the light of the world. Now in chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, he'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Chapter 15, he will say, I am the true vine. All of these statements are intended to communicate us to us 
the depth of the reality of God in the flesh. What it means that Jesus came from heaven to secure our salvation. Put into living color the the reality of his deity and of the power of his work on our behalf. So he says here, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. Those are the two uh, main points of of the text. They're like the the backbone of verses 1 through 18. Jesus uses this, this object lesson, this metaphor, this word by the way. It's a word out of the ordinary. It's not technically a parable. It's kind of between a parable and an allegory. It's like a word picture, a metaphor. He's taking something from common life and he's using that to say something to them that has much deeper meaning. And they don't get it. He speaks as clearly as he possibly can and they still don't understand what he is saying in verse six. Time out, all you parents and teachers in the room. Be somewhat encouraged that even our Lord was misunderstood by those he was trying to communicate with. Maybe there's just something human about our misunderstandings, not only sinful, but also human. Jesus, in verses 7 through 18, lays before them the the deeper meaning of the object lesson of verses 1 through 5. And he speaks to them so plainly in verses 7 through 18 that there is no way they can miss what he means. So as you follow the structure of the text, verses 1 through 5, he lays the, the metaphor before them. Verse 6, they don't get it. So verse 7, he, he comes back around and he says, truly, truly, I say to you. And now he explains it. Now he lays before them the deeper spiritual meaning of the metaphor he gave them in verses 1 through 5. Namely, in verses 7 through 10, he explains what he meant by verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 11 through 18, he explains what he meant by verses 3 through 5. What he meant by verses 1 and 2 is, I am the door of the sheep. If any man enter by me, he is saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. What he meant by verses 3 through 5 is, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the structure of the text. We're going to take the first of those this morning and come to the second one on the next Lord's Day. Because John 10 is so very familiar to you, this is a a text I assume you turn to often. This is the Psalm 23 of the New Testament. When your soul needs comfort, I assume this is one of the places you land and find comfort, and you should. There is much to be comforted by here. But often we just parachute into John's gospel, into chapter 10 and verse 1, and we read, truly, truly, and we assume that's the beginning of the thought. Well, you know that is not the case. You know we must read in context, and in fact, in John's gospel, every time he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he never starts a new section or a new paragraph or a new thought. He always, Jesus is always clarifying based on something that has just happened. Well, what has just happened? You remember in chapter 9, the man born blind, Jesus found him and healed him and made him this amazing display of the power of the Messiah, God in the flesh. This huge controversy is struck as the the Pharisees latch on to this man who is healed on the Sabbath day and how in the world could he do this and doesn't he know our laws and this trial gets to the point where the man who was healed now clearly confesses what happened to him but also who did it to him. Having never actually met this Jesus of Nazareth, he says, how could he have healed me if he isn't the Messiah? And they say, who are you to teach and train us? And they 
excommunicate him out of the synagogue. In a matter of hours, he is restored to sight and given life that he's never had before. And a few hours later, he is kicked out of that life, kicked to the gutter of Jewish society and has no true life. Jesus finds the man, you remember, and completes his faith, brings it to the fullness of maturity and says, do you, do you believe this man is the, the Messiah, the Son of God? Well, how can I? I've never seen him. And well, he who stands before you is he. And the man says, I believe. And he falls before Jesus and worships him. And the Pharisees are standing there watching that. You remember their reaction? They ask the question that they expect a negative answer to because after all, they are the spiritual guides of Israel. They know the law. They know how to be right with God. They know how to lead others to be right with God. In fact, they are the only way to be teaching you to be right with God in their minds. They say, are we blind too? And Jesus answers them mystically, mysteriously, but clearly as well. Well, if you thought you were blind, then there would be hope for you. But because you say you see, your guilt remains. And then he follows that up with this metaphor. You see, in the context, the issue here is who really sees clearly how to get in to the kingdom of God? Who really are the true shepherds of God's people? Who really has the right of access to the sheepfold of Israel? These Pharisees think they have it. Everyone in Israel thinks they have it. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, listen, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. You see, the Pharisees are nothing more than spiritual thieves and robbers who are seeking to steal and kill and destroy the flock of God. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the true shepherd, and whoever enters into the sheepfold by the right way is the true shepherd, calling each sheep by name, and they follow him. There's much to say here, and we'll, we'll round it out next week. I'm sure you'll have questions when I'm done that, well, you didn't talk about that or that. Come back next week. I think I will address most of those then. But I want to focus our attention this morning on the true shepherd and seeing how he contrasts with the false shepherds, the Pharisees themselves. We do that by looking at three points from this text, that the true shepherd is the only door to salvation, that the true shepherd comes in the right way, and that the true shepherd comes in for the right purposes. First point, the true shepherd is the only door to salvation. That's the overarching point, the main point of these first 10 verses. He is the only door to Salvation. We see that metaphor laid for us in verses 1 through 2, which I just read for you. And Jesus says, those who do not enter into the sheepfold by the door, they are a thief and a robber. They climb in by another way because they can't come in through the door. Now, to understand that more fully, you need that which was common knowledge to Jesus' first hearers. And that was what the nature of a sheepfold was, what its purpose was, and how it operated in Jewish life. Outside of these small villages and towns that dotted the the Judean landscape, they would have outside of the city a sheepfold. It's just an enclosure. It's a, a fenced-in area. 
the shepherds would take their, their flocks out to the hills and they would wander around trying to find grass in that sparse and uh, arid land. And at the end of the day, after the long trekking through the hills to find enough grass for their sheep, they would lead them back to their sheepfold. And as they entered into the sheepfold, the, gate was, the door was just wide enough for one, maybe two sheep at a time. The shepherd would check them as they went in, making sure they were not injured or harmed in any way, that they were not sick. They would enter into the sheepfold and they would be in there for the night. Several families would share this sheepfold, likely even the whole town. And all of the town's sheep that were in the area would come and, and be in the fold for the night. The shepherds would then hire an under-shepherd, a gatekeeper, so that they could go home, get some rest, get some food, and get ready for the next day. He would often lay down in the doorway, or at least perch himself at the doorway as the gatekeeper, making sure no wild animals entered in to take the sheep and devour them, that no thieves or robbers came in to take the sheep and steal them from their rightful owners. This large enclosure with these walls high enough to keep the sheep safe from wolves and bears was the sheepfold of which Jesus speaks. This narrow entrance was the door. There was one way in for sheep and shepherd alike. The shepherd would return in the morning and he, having several flocks in the sheepfold, he would enter through the door. The gatekeeper would allow him in because he would know him. He would enter into the sheepfold and he would give his unique call to his sheep. And these sheep were so well trained by his call that they knew his voice and they would come to him, their shepherd, and they would follow him out as he went out the door. They, one by one, would follow him out the door to pasture for the day. It's a simple enough process that all of Jesus' Jewish audience understood. They'd either themselves taken part in it or they had at least seen it. And so Jesus uses that and says to them, listen, he who comes to the sheep and comes as a thief or a robber, they don't come to the door. They're obviously not the true shepherd. If you're going to steal sheep, you must climb over the wall. The shepherd does not need to climb the wall. He can come to the gate and be let in. The analogy is obvious enough, is it not? Our Lord's making clear that there are two entities that he's talking about that are obvious he being the true shepherd entering in by the door they being the thieves and the robbers the pharisees are who climb over and seek to steal and kill the sheep verse two he's obviously pointing to the fact that they have not come in the right way but that he has come as the true shepherd and then verse six says they don't know what he means so he expands on that in verses seven and nine he's, he says listen you missed it let me make it so clear that you'll want to kill me because you understand it Verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. So he's the shepherd who comes in the right way, but as the shepherd, he also becomes the sheep through, the door through which the sheep enter into salvation and safety. What does this mean? It makes it so clear to the Pharisees that they can't twist what he means. Not only is he the rightful shepherd of God's people. He's the only way for God's people to be saved and rescued and nourished and find pasture. So he himself is the true shepherd because he comes the right way, but he's also the true shepherd because he is the only way for them to find safety and provision. So what's the interpretation of this? Well, again, it's obvious, but just think through it with me. 
Jesus came to the sheepfold of God's people through the door. And I'll talk more next week about who the sheepfold are and and what it means that Jesus leads them out and that he has sheep of another fold. And we'll get into that as we consider Jesus as the good shepherd next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But Jesus comes to the sheepfold of God's people through the door and these false shepherds, these thieves and robbers have tried to gain entrance and access through another way. Jesus' main point in all of that is to say that having come in the right way to the sheep, then he provides the only way for them to have salvation, security, and provision. He doesn't just come in through the right way. He is himself the right way. How is it that the flock of sheep enter into the fold of safety for the night? They enter in through the door. How is it that... Someone comes in to the safety and salvation of God. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's akin to what he says in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is but one door. As Noah's ark in the book of Genesis has one door into the safety of the ark, so too salvation from judgment in the New Testament is through the one door, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he grant us as we enter in through this one door? Hear the authors of the New Testament as they speak of the suffering and sacrifice of Christ and what we gain because of his substitutionary death for us. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself, speaking of Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hebrews 9 verse 26. But as it is, he, Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10 verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10 verse 19, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Friend, it is through Jesus Christ that we are given access into the eternal salvation from our sins. Our hearts are cleansed by his blood. Our sins are put away by the sacrifice of Christ. We have now gained entrance and access into the most holy of places by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son. Through the curtain of his flesh being torn, we are gained entrance into 
the holy place of God. He is our peace, reconciling us to God and to each other through the blood of his cross. We have access into his grace. We are made righteous in him, and he brings us to God. There is no other way for all of those things to happen. There is no other Savior, no other Redeemer, no other Reconciler, no other door into the fold of God's salvation. Jesus is the only door. We saw what coming through that door would look like in chapter 9, didn't we? When we saw this blind man healed, it was not his healing that brought him through the door. It was his healing that started his process toward true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He entered in through the door into salvation as his faith was tested and opposed. He grew more and more convinced in the truth that Jesus of Nazareth was his only hope, his only savior, his true Messiah. And when he finally saw Jesus, he expressed the fullness of his belief. I believe and he worshiped him. You see how simple that was. The process was not simple. But that moment of belief was Incredibly simple. Convinced in that moment that Jesus was all he had said he was. That he was sent from God for the forgiveness of his sins. That he was the only hope this man had for his salvation. He entered in that moment into peace with God. Through faith in Jesus, the very son of God. How is it that the sheep enter in to the safety and security and provision of the shepherd as he cares for them at nighttime in the fold, they must go through the door. How is it that the sheep are cared for when he calls them to himself and leads them out into pasture to provide for their very real and true needs? They must go out through the door. Jesus Christ is the door of our salvation, leading us in to eternal salvation and leading us out into the abundance of life. Unbeliever among us today, you you may not know this Jesus. You may not know the forgiveness of your sins. You may not know peace with God. The Holy Spirit in this moment presses upon your soul and says you are not right with God. You need something outside of you to make you right with God. That something outside of you is the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving himself completely and totally to suffer under the weight of your sins. Becoming sin for you, he who knew no sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God in him and be given eternal, unending, constant life. Access to the Father. Today, walk through the door who is Christ Walk through that door by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting your soul entirely and completely to him on no other thing. Walk through by faith. But Christian, this door is not just for your salvation. This this door, our Lord Jesus, is for your sanctification, for your ongoing experience of the joy of your salvation. You not enter into the fold of the people of God through Christ and move on from him to some greater thing, some some greater shepherd, some greater reality, some, 
some new door that will be created for you to some greener pasture. The door to abundance of life in, in this life and in the one to come is, is always Christ. He is everything to you, believer. He is the shepherd who leads you from where you are to where you need to be. He is the door of your salvation in all of its parts, past, present, and future. Jesus is the true shepherd in that he is the only door of, of, to salvation, but he also is the true shepherd in that he comes in by the right way. This is really actually a sub-point of the first one, but breaking it out to its own, consider with me the, the true shepherd coming to the sheep by the right way. He need not climb over the walls. He simply needs to enter in at the door, being admitted by the gatekeeper, knowing his sheep, and the sheep knowing him. Jesus applies that to the present situation in verse 8. He says, all others who come, came before me were thieves and robbers in God's flock, but the sheep did not listen to them. He's drawing an obvious distinction between himself and the Pharisees here. They think that they have the right to lead God's people. They think they have been set up by God as the rightful spiritual authorities over God's flock. Jesus says they have climbed in the, over the wall, as it were. They've not come through the door who is Christ. But to see the distinction, you must consider how is it that Jesus came in through the door? He says the true shepherd comes in through the right door. He doesn't climb over the wall. So how did Jesus come in through the right door into the flock of God's people? Well, he came as one sent in perfect fulfillment of all of God's previous words about the Messiah, did he not? All of his promises of Old Testament prophecy are fulfilled in this one man, Jesus of Nazareth. Sent from heaven by divine design at just the right moment in keeping with all of God's promises to perfectly fulfill all that God had said. But he also came not just in fulfillment of, of all of those promises, he came in, in perfect submission and obedience to the law. He came in, in the right way as a, a law keeper. That's what Paul says of Jesus in Galatians 4 when he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, Christ came as the perfect embodiment of the righteous standard of the law, pleasing his father with his perfect obedience to every aspect of his law. And in that way, coming through the right door into the sheepfold of God's people. And then having a righteousness of his own, he was able to give that righteousness to us. Having secured a righteous standing as the true shepherd by walking through the door of entering into humanity in full keeping of divine promise and in full submission to divine law. He now can walk into the people of Israel and say, I am your true shepherd. I now can lead you out back through that door of righteousness to an abundance of life. And that door of righteousness now becomes a door of salvation. As the righteous one entered in, he now provides a way for them to have abundant life. This gateway becomes a gateway in which they now through Christ, become righteous themselves. 
he being the righteous shepherd, now makes them righteous sheep, not by their own doing, but by his doing. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The true shepherd comes in by the right way and then becomes the right way. The false shepherds, these thieves and robbers, climb in by another way. They assume leadership and authority over God's people that's not theirs to take. Assuming they can abuse the sheep and fleece the flock for their own ends. Pretending to be those who use the law to accomplish their own ends. Presuming upon their own righteous standing before God, even setting up self-made laws outside of God's law to keep anyone from breaking God's core law. In reality, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, you've broken God's law. If you're guilty in one point, you're guilty in all points. And you are condemned by the law and are in need of a savior. But they're blind guides to the blind. As false shepherds and they lord over the people with their self-presumed authority, their demands of law-keeping that are impossible for the sheep. Having not entered into the fold the right way, they do not lead the sheep to the right door. As Jesus said to them in Matthew, they cross sea and land to make a single convert, and when they do, they make him twice the son of hell that they are. Meaning they're doubly condemned. They, They can't find their way out of it. Their deception and their blindness and their spiritual unbelief. These false shepherds beat the sheep into submission with the law, demanding righteous deeds and full obedience. What this does, it creates a a system where they hold the authority over the sheep and create an oppressively and, and spiritually dead flock, placing themselves at the center of the system like thieves and robbers. They are there for their own benefit. And so in the name of God, using the law of God, they lord over the people of God for their own immediate good. And when this happens, the sheep of God are starved and beaten and injured by these robbers and these thieves, these false shepherds. You don't need to think too hard to see that this happens in our own day, do you? There are plenty of people standing in front of people who think they're God's people who are doing it for their own ends today. Who in the name of Christ and under the supposed authority of the word of God are actually just usurpers and robbers and thieves fleecing the people of God for their own immediate good. Starving the people of God from what they truly and desperately need who is Christ himself. Jesus comes as the true shepherd, the complete and total opposite of that, comes in through the one door and then becomes the one door. So anyone who would lead God's people must lead in a manner like unto Jesus, correct? If you're gonna be a shepherd under the good shepherd, then you need to be a shepherd who does what the good shepherd does. Meaning you must come in the right way and you must lead in and out through the right way. We'll talk more about that next week as we consider Jesus who is the good shepherd and all the implications of that for 
leadership in Christ's church. But the human shepherd who has entered in through Christ is then under the authority of the chief shepherd and serves the sheep best by taking them in and out to find pasture through the door who is Christ and returning them regularly to the safety of the fold through the door who is Christ. So the mark of a true under-shepherd is that they are always pointing to Christ. It is never about them. It is never about their own immediate good. It is never about what they can gain from the flock. They are merely entrusted the job of pointing the sheep and leading the sheep to the door who is Christ, being careful to always come in and out by the right way. Lastly, Jesus is the true shepherd in that he comes in by the right way and for the right purposes. He comes in by the right way and he comes in for the right purposes. He says that the true shepherd of the sheep in verse 9 has come to give the sheep salvation and then in verse 10 to give them abundant life. So as the true shepherd, he becomes the only door which grants access into the salvation and into this abundant life. This is contrasting, obviously, to the Pharisees who had told people that the way into peace with God was through the keeping of the law and strict observance to their extra code of laws. Christ simplifies all that with that glorious statement in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, Jesus comes for the right purposes. Isn't this what shepherds are supposed to do? I'm not a shepherd, but I don't think it's rocket science. Is not their whole task the care of the sheep? Isn't that why they were there? If the sheep could take care of themselves, you would need no shepherd. Other animals do not need the constant care of sheep, right? Sheep need the constant guidance and leadership of a shepherd. They are there for the benefit of the flock, the safety and the flourishing of the sheep. So false shepherds are marked quite clearly by being there for the wrong purposes. They come in as thieves and robbers. There's a slight variation in those words in verse one. A thief is, is the one who uses subtlety and deceit and discreetly defrauds the flock. Fleeces them through dishonesty and underhanded means in such ways that the flock doesn't even usually know what's going on until that shepherd, that false shepherd is blown out of town and gone to another flock. But a robber, instead of a thief, a robber is the, the more open and brazen one. The one who accosts you in the dark and demands your wallet. Sticks a gun in your face and says, give me your car. That's the robber. And there's times when these false shepherds are, are discreet and underhanded and dishonest. And there's other times when they're just brazen. Through open threat, they demand that you submit to their way and they use their spiritual authority to beat you into submission to, to get out of you what it is they want from you. That's exactly what we saw in chapter 9, correct? This is exactly what they did 
to the man who was born blind and who had been healed by Jesus. They tried every underhanded method they could think of to get this man to stop speaking about Jesus and to certainly not believe that he was the Messiah. They used family pressure. They used the pressure of of his neighbors and his friends. They called him to appear before them and give account for what had happened. They gave him every way out of the scenario by asking the question hundreds of different ways, basically saying, are you sure you want to believe this? Do you know what's going to have to happen next? He continued expressing clarity in his belief in the Lord Jesus. It grew in clarity as he said, who else could have done this? It had to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And so they full out, brazenly said, you're out. Booted him from the synagogue, made a public display of him, and ruined his life. Friend, this is what false shepherds do. They use their authority and their power to protect their own position. They rob the sheep of the very things the sheep needs. They they view the sheep as their ticket to their own abundant life. Rather than viewing their role as those who are to lead the sheep to abundant life. And in their abuse of the sheep, they earn the greatest of condemnation from our Lord God. Friend, the Lord has no tolerance for false shepherds. He hates and despises leaders who stand in his name and use his truth, twisted as it were, to meet their own fanciful agendas, to provide for their own immediate pleasures. The words of John 10 mirror the words of three different prophets of the Old Testament. We're not going to look at all of them for sake of time. But I imagine as Jesus spoke to these scribes and Pharisees in John 10, if they had any semblance of sense and if they really knew the Old Testament like they said they did, they heard in our Lord Jesus' words echoing the words of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. You know, jot these texts down and look at them later. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, and Zechariah 11 all speak of the false shepherds of Israel. They're all speaking in the context of those false shepherds leading Israel down such a path that God is now provoked to the full-on judgment of God's people and leading them into exile. These prophets are saying that exile is coming because of your leadership. Because your false shepherds have not been doing what they said they were going to do. But every one of these prophetic texts ends with a note of hope that though there are false shepherds ruling over you now, be assured there is coming a son of David who will stand as the true shepherd over his people and will gather the sheep into his flock and will lead them into abundant life. Ezekiel 34 verse 1 says this, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Here's what God said. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beast my sheep were scattered they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them beloved what's true in the old testament of god's appointed leaders is true in the new testament of the church's leaders Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, several other texts speak of the shepherding role of God's men in Christ's church. And the church's health rises or falls on what the shepherds do with that role. Elders are to most certainly oversee the the functioning of the body. Like doctors, they're to, to care for her health. They're to prescribe her her good diet and her good nutrition. They're to oversee the areas of sickness and apply the right biblical medicine. They're to oversee the body, but they are never to do that as rulers over the body for their own good. No, they are shepherds. And what are shepherds supposed to do? They're supposed to feed the sheep. They're supposed to strengthen the weak. They're supposed to heal the sick. They're supposed to bound up the injured. They're supposed to bring back the strayed. They're supposed to seek after the lost. Men, we need some shepherds in the body of Christ. We need need men to rise up to that challenge. We have men who are doing it. We need more men to do this. To shepherd the flock, and, and you want this to be Easy, you want, to just, you want a job to just rule over the body? This is not for you. This is not a job of administration. The body is not a, a company that needs ordered. It's a flock of sheep that needs tended to. That needs cared. You'll be tired. You'll be dirty. It will be messy. It will cost you much but you will receive the commendation of our Lord who as the good shepherd will say to you as an under-shepherd, well done, good and faithful servant. May the flock of God at Newton Bible not be described as the flock in Ezekiel 34 as scattered sheep over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. That text ends with a, a note of Further condemnation and then hope. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, he says. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Enter Jesus. He is the fulfillment of 
Ezekiel 34. There's more to say about that and the fulfillment of that text. But it all centers around the Lord Jesus coming as the good shepherd to seek out his lost sheep. He came in by the right way and he now has come to be the right way. He came in for the right purposes and he offers to you the abundance of life found only in him if you would enter in through Christ. So friend, are you in Christ by his grace through faith in him? Do you know this abundant life of verse 10? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of considering your word this morning. Thank you for your sheep who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who long for the the fullness of this truth to encourage and build up their faith. Lord, I pray that you would do that through what we have spent time considering this morning. Thank you for your son by whom we now enter in to the kingdom of God through the door of our salvation. We praise you for him. We ask that you would teach us all the more how it is that this abundance of life can be experienced in all of the difficulties and sorrows of this present hour. Teach us, Father, the goodness of your son and the fullness of the joy of your salvation. We also pray for those among us who do not know Christ. Maybe they have thought they did until they have heard your word this morning. Father, I beg of you that you would so unsettle them by the conviction of your spirit that they would not be able to rest until they find Christ and are spiritually healed by him. Lord, I ask for your mercy and your grace in that way. Thank you for the privilege now to come to the Lord's table. We ask that you would fill our hearts with the truth and remind us of the glories of the sacrifice of your son. Renew in us the joy of our salvation. Cause us then to depart from here with a commitment to live as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.